Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. And for the month of June, since everyone is an awesome uh, Moving the Iron Podcast listener, you get yourself a special 3% discount on a set of tires and rims if you're looking at updating your combine uh, heading into uh, harvest this year. So use uh, Combine Kit as the special code word uh, on the website or when you're talking to your axon rep make sure you mention that uh, that you heard this on the moving iron podcast and you get yourself a three percent discount on a set of combine tires and rims from from alliance there so also tractor zoom delivering insights great place to track what's going on in the auction market which sean if you take a look at what's going on right now um as much as i as much as i uh want to pretend that that you're never that you're never wrong but you're 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 right again i mean here we got this hot dry uh weather coming through this flash drought that you've been talking about your last report that came out talked a lot about this flash flash drought and what that could look like and right here in western nebraska kind of stretching all the way across the state of nebraska it's been um you know 95 degrees 93 degrees it was hit 97 here out in scotts bluff yesterday and uh, throw about 20 or 30 mile an hour winds on top of that. It doesn't take a whole lot to suck the moisture out of the ground. So couple all that with what we saw yesterday out of the uh, June report that came out, uh, the June WASDA report, ending stocks report, and what we saw there. So I guess reactions to all that and kind of what you see happen, man. Well, in terms of the report yesterday, we've been talking about how the USDA was woefully too high on corn stocks and the, the real number is closer to a billion. And they keep getting... They're almost there now. Getting almost closer. There. Yeah, they're getting closer. They're getting closer. They're 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 in the margin of error now. At least you know, at least that's respectable. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also talked about how they were woefully too high on the Brazilian uh, corn crop. Yeah. And they're they're now getting closer. You know, they're and they're now in the mid nineties. And we've talked about how we felt the real the real numbers around 88, 90, 92, and somewhere there. So so they keep making the adjustments in the right direction the way that they do it. So I'm not sure any of that was a surprise other than it's how they operate, but it does remind everybody. We just don't have any corn stocks. We don't have any soybean stocks and we're in a drought cycle. This is something we've talked about 
uh, all year long on your show all yep. year long that we were going to enter this drought cycle. And once we got into June, it was going to get you know really hot, and, and, and the drought cycle is going to and July is going to be worse, and then before it peaks out. So, so now the question really becomes, you know, how high do we need to go to factor in that we're not going to have trend line or you know the big crops everybody wants, and that's what we're, we're, we're trying to find out right now is how far do we need to go to price all of this in. And we're still in the middle of that process, but we certainly don't think we've priced it all in yet. We still think um, at least new crop corn and, um, you know, and spring wheat certainly, you know, probably have some more adjustments upward before we fully factor in the extent of this drought when we hit the peak of it in late July. Okay. So, all right. So, Obviously, we're in the weather market now. I mean, you take a look what's going on. Everything is based around the weather. Interday volatility is, I mean, the last three days, I think corn and soybeans have had like a, a anywhere from a 30 cent to a 60 cent range, you know, in the day. You take a look at all those factors that are playing in. Um, this this volatility is, is volatility is good. You want volatility to happen. You want things to move around and those kind of things. But swings like this seem to to, to really draw some uncertainty in the marketplace that, that folks are trying to get their head wrapped around as to what's going on. So I guess as you take a look at this weather market that we're officially in, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to officially put ourselves in this, when this weather market, I'm really going on a limb here, Sean, but they, uh, as you take a look at, at this scenario that we're, we're, uh, stepping into, when do you really think that the market's going to really snap one way or the other? I mean, what's that, What's that line in the sand that says, you know what, boom, this is this is it? Traditionally, um, it's the, after July 4th is when the market takes a look, two-week forecast, what are the current crop conditions, how is pollination going for corn, and, and, and what's, what's – because that's when you really reach the mission-critical point where you, you there's no turning back one way or the other. Um and so that's usually when the market either breaks hard. So look at last year. The market broke hard down um, after July 4 because it made the determination that the crop's going to be good. Now, they were incorrect about that. They were incorrect about that. But they made the determination in their mind that the crop was going to be good, the weather was good enough, and they made a mistake. But, but that's when the market decides, should they really, really be worried? Or was all the worry in June just a worry but not an actual realized issue? Our belief, our forecast, our weather algorithm suggests when we get beyond July 4, they're going to make a determination that the crop's weather is not going to be good, the crop's not going to be what we need it to be, and they're going to need to really, really rock this market higher and price in a substandard crop. How bad, the, how high they have to go really depends on how the nature of, of, the, of the, the July drought, how broad it is, how hot it is, how dry it is how they perceive it all. But, you know, July 4 really, Casey, is, is the line that the market really decides what it really wants to do. Up until then, it's a lot of back and forth, and it's, it's this, it's that. But they always feel like the crop can still recover if the weather is good in July. So. Gotcha. Okay. All right. L let's talk a little bit about some of what we see happening down in Brazil. So like you mentioned beforehand, uh, they came out and said somewhere around 98 million bushels or 98 million metric tons that they saw down in um, in Brazil. Um, 
you know, obviously the USDA is not going to stick their neck out on on what the information they get internationally because you never know what you're getting. But it, it, some some private estimates have come out in that that 93 to 96 million metric ton uh, range, which is significantly down, closer to what you've talked about on here. And yep. each week, those those independent um, folks come out and they get a little bit less than they did the week before. Um, even Brazil's um, USDA version of the USDA is coming out with their with a uh, a little bit less than every week too. So when I mean I mean how much is that? So I mean obviously every week the market's watching that 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 news that comes out. But when do you think that they're really going to bait that in? And, and do you really think that they'll have that opportunity this year to say, you know what? It is 88 or it is 92 or whatever it is that, that really drives that market up. I think the, I think the market is now pretty aware that the USDA is in la-la land and they're too high. But I really, really believe what's really going to get the market um, highly, highly confident is when the exports out of Brazil aren't there. Um you know, because last year they just buried exports. I mean, record-setting exports for corn, just just record week after week after week as we went into July and onward. So the the real kicker is going to be when you will start looking at these numbers, and 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 there's it's tiny compared to last year, and and then the market starts calculating. Oh my gosh, there's going to be I don't know 800 million less bushels of corn available from Brazil's exports to the rest of the world. Yeah. That's almost the entire U.S. carryout. Right. So. The way we look at it is that because of Brazil's short crop, we've used up the U.S. carryout, which means between the two countries, there absolutely is no corn. Like, the U.S. has a billion bushel carryout, but we lost a billion bushels of exports around that from Brazil, which means there's no carryout. That's the way we look at it. There's no carryout. Right. And <laughs> once again, the way we look at this year's crop even though we're calling for a pretty severe drought here in July, we don't need a terrible crop. If we're just in the same, let's say, low 170s like we were last year, 8 to 10 bushel below acre, even uh, below uh, trend, and even if we add, let's say, 3 million harvested acres that everyone is believing is going to happen at the end of the month because of the planting and the high price and all, we have a carryout of 800 million bushels. All things being equal to demand. So, so so we don't need this devastatingly terrible crop. It just needs to be a little bit below trend. I mean, a low 170 crop isn't that bad, Casey. It's actually not too bad. Right. Um, in fact, that would be a great outcome looking at the weather we're seeing. But that means 800 million bushel carryout, which is tighter than we are right now. So really, really hard to see how... And then when you look at ethanol, you know, in 2012 and 2008, we crushed ethanol demand to rash to get kind of get demand down to, uh, the the ethanol crush is at a, is at a hot, record high because the margins are good so we're not rationing any ethanol corn demand for I mean so it, it's gonna it's <laughs> you know what do we have to do to get demand down I, I guess what I'm getting at we have to get to a price level that we lose demand and it hasn't happened yet the way the way we see it has not happened yet so yep okay so um Let's bounce over and talk about soybean just a minute. So yesterday's report, um, they gained 15 um, million metric ton or 15 million bushels of 
of soybeans from someplace. Um, I mean, kind of stirred the market up a little bit, kind of shot soybeans down for a little bit. But I mean, I guess as you as you look at that, I mean, what's your thoughts there? We're less constructive on soybeans. We've been pretty clear that we think August is going to be a, a drought breaker. And that means the soybean crop can be largely rehabilitated, not perfectly, but largely rehabilitated. They had a huge crop in South America and Brazil. Right. Remember, they, they grow the South America soybean crop in the first half of the growing season, which wasn't that, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was, you know, they had timely rains in the soybean area. The real, real part of the drought that hurt the corn market, second crop corn, but the soybeans were already done. I mean, they were already being harvested. So, so we had a huge crop down there. And when you're at 120 million bushel carry, I've said this before, they're not going to come in with a lower number. You have no, there's only one place to go at 120 million, up, not down. And when we run the numbers with a crop, we think the USDA's yield numbers are probably pretty close. Add an extra million uh, uh, harvested acres, a good August for weather, you know, we can see that number growing to about 200 million bushels. Now, of course, still very tight, but when you're going from 120 to 200, the difference in price is pretty significant. We're talking about dollars difference in the soybean price between 120 million bushel and, say, a 200 million bushel. It's a, it's instead of being a 15, 16 dollar market, it's a 12 to 13 dollar market. Now, still very high price, by the way, but mm -hmm. a big knockdown. So, we're really feeling that soybeans will ride the coattails of corn, they'll ride the coattails of spring wheat, but there's, we don't see the justification for soybeans to go higher like we do on corn and spring wheat. We think it's a follower market, and we'd be really worried about a much more protracted break in August. Um, for those reasons, whereas in the corn market, they didn't have the crop down in South America they needed. We don't have any corn stocks here. And so, the, the, and, and, and actually our carryouts are going to go down the way we see it. So it's a tale of two different markets. So I mean, it's led, as you know, since, you know, in, the, in that, in primarily led from the August lows of last year into January. But we think the story really started since April, mid-April, the corn market's been outperforming the soybean market. We think that trend will continue into the blow-off top here we see in late July. Right on. Wheat, the wheat market, they also had the report come out yesterday, talked about the wheat, what we saw happening there. Pretty much across the board, they they had a, they raised kind of expectations of wheat. You know, Kansas was up four bushels, up to 52 bushels per acre. Nebraska was up four bushels, up to 51 uh, per acre. Colorado, you know, was up five. Texas was up two. I mean, so they have a, a pretty, I mean, really when it comes down to it, wheat had a fairly bearish um, report. But they're also talking about that that in May, uh, from May, there was a three billion bushels below the average, you know, per, per the uh, report trade estimate, so um, at 26 million uh, bushels. So I guess when you look at the wheat market with all the stresses that we've seen out there starting to creep into Kansas, you know, I think this this first week of June is typically when that Oklahoma-Kansas border really starts to, to fire up with wheat harvest. What are your thoughts there, and, and, and uh, what do you expect to see out of Kansas as we move forward? We think this is the high number for the year for on winter wheat. Okay. We think that's the high number for the year, like they like like in August of last year was the high number for corn, 
and they had to work their way back down. We think they'll start working their way back down as more harvest comes in and they really get the true assessment um, of what's going on with winter wheat. And so winter wheat seasonally likes to bottom here in late June, um, typical harvest pressure. So we're getting pretty close that, that the market's going to get ready to rally here, Casey. And if the corn market really gets going because of the substitution demand for winter wheat on feed and all that sort of thing. You know, we, we see a pretty good chance for a really good, solid, strong, seasonal winter wheat rally from, let's say, you know, late June into late July to, rally, to, to, to run behind the corn markets rally. The other thing that we've been noticing is that the estimates in Russia, even though thus far everyone has said that the winter kill event in the U.S. is not showing up, in Russia, it's showing up way worse than everyone thought. In fact, I think we're looking at uh, the estimate. I think I saw this yesterday, the day before, that we're looking at one of the worst estimates for winter kill in Russia, you know, in, in like 25, 30 years. So, so those estimates are coming down fast on winter wheat because of what's now becoming a clear major damage from the winter kill events that they had over there. Um, and so, you know, that's a big, big that's a huge variable in pricing our U.S. winter wheat price. So while everyone's focused on, at least for now, that we have these, you know, the crop somehow made it through it all, uh, Russia, the, the numbers are, are getting worse. And so we were pretty constructive on winter wheat. And so we think a combination of that reality with the reality that we think the U.S. numbers are going to start coming down along with the corn market really taking off here suggests that we, we would be looking, you know, for a, to carve out a low here over the next couple of weeks here in winter wheat if we haven't already done so. So if I'm a cash buyer of winter wheat, if I'm somebody that buys that kind of thing, you know, I'd sure make sure I tighten up my belt here and get something bought. Um, I wouldn't want to get too much past late June if I'm a cash buyer of winter wheat. Okay. All right. Lastly, let's talk about what we see happening over in uh, the cattle complex. Cattle has... Uh, you know, we've seen it bent up to that $28 mark, $128 down. Now we're kind of bouncing around that $115 to $117 range. There's been um, box beef prices continue to climb. We're in that peak grilling season. More restaurants are opening up, those kind of things. As you've talked about, um, you know, that, that you expected to see, you know, the cattle cattle prices come down because of the price of, of uh, inputs, corn, i.e. corn, as you look at that. As the summer continues and we we kind of creep into this um, this weather model, and we start seeing the price of corn go up, uh, especially you know wheat trending right along with that as feed continues to climb. What's your thoughts and concerns with the uh, cattle marketplace? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's going to be really hard for the cattle market to, to get a rally going for correct about our forecast at least into late July. Now, after we after we price it all in and we come down and crash and burn into the harvest lows, a more traditional harvest low this year, you know, then the cattle market can kind of, you know, can kind of have a pretty good rally later in the year. But it's going to be pretty tough sledding from now into, let's say, you know, early, mid-August. Um, and, and, of course, we continue to be plagued by the lack of capacity to bring animals through. This, this hacking event just, once again, uh, continues to point out, you know, how we're in a just in, you know, the, 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 the capacity and in, in the, in the, there's just not enough capacity. We can, the demand is strong, but we just can't move the animals through. So it will be rectified. There will be her liquidation. There'll be, um, and if we're correct about what's to take place with the winter season, it's going to be a lot of, um, um, 
uh, light weights that will be coming up here in the uh, fall, in the wintertime. There'll be a lot of deaths in the herd. And of course, the, the fertility reproductive cycle will really get ruptured here, and which means that as we move into the spring, summer of 22, the animal feeding units are going to be way, way off with demand very, very strong. That sets up kind of a parabolic rise in the cattle market uh, for that spring, summer, into the fall of 22. So, you know, it's kind of a, a bad, good situation. It's not, it's, it's, it's not a good situation in the short run, but if you can get through this uh, to the other side, you know, there's going to be some very, very... Uh, profitable prices we think in 22 for those that um you know that 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 are around and, and are operating so our view is you know do what you can to survive because the the, the gains can be really really good a year from now so okay so jump over and let's talk about the port complex as you look at what you see happening there china's kind of they still came in and bought some stuff but it's not been as much they know they're kind of kind of maybe just tapering a little bit here uh, as you look at that Hogs are close to an all-time high in prices, I guess. So as, as you look at the hog market, thoughts there as we head into, again, some of this high-priced feed that we see coming. You know, the, the, the domestic demand has uh, been unbelievable because we've been able to absorb the loss of exports to China because China hog prices have completely crashed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that they're, they're at the lowest level in I mean, they're lower than they were five years ago. I mean, they're losing money in the pork industry over there right now. I mean, it's just totally crashed. So they're, and and they're just bustling with pork. So they're not been buying any pork from us for a long time, the way we see it right now. So it's a question is, and at these profitable prices, we know the U.S. is, you know, they, we know how to, we know how to grow pork, (laughs) you know, how to grow uh, hogs when, when the price is good. So I'm surprised you know, that the market has held up this strong. I did not think domestic demand would be able to be strong enough to overcome this loss in Chinese demand. So we've been a little early on our bearish call, and and, 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 and we're surprised. We thought we would be suffering uh, some lower prices by now. So um, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It just means that we just misjudged how strong U.S. demand was going to be. But it's, it, that demand is on a... Um, you know, there's not a limit to that. And so when we do come off of this and when the U.S. demand for, for grilling and when we filled up the freezers again and the cold storage is back to where it needs to be again and we get back to normal demand, it could be a really, really ugly price decline, Casey. I mean, you know, kind of a crash market, limit down kind of market. So we'd be very careful. You know, we were, like I said, we've been saying this for a little while and we've been wrong about uh, the price going down. But as a, as a producer, you know, I just... Wouldn't I wouldn't be uh, overly confident that these prices are going to stick around to the end of the year? We don't think that they will. So, cool. all right. Last but not least, let's talk about the oil market real quick and kind of what you see happening there. Oil had a hard time getting past that that low sixty range, and and yesterday I looked at West Texas and intermediate oil, and you know they were all the futures. You know the June, July, um, August. Futures were all right around that $70 mark. As you look moving forward longer term, do you see oil creeping up there to where it's it's going to be one of those, it's going to really start affecting the price of fertilizer and the price of diesel and those kind of things where the input costs 
going into 22 are going to be significantly higher than what we've seen in the past? Short term, we have a hard time believing that the Middle East, i.e. Saudi Arabia, is going to allow the price to go much higher. I don't believe they want to fire up the U.S. production engine again. And even though the administration and, and the banks are against producing fossil fuel and they're cutting off funding, there's still plenty of money to go open up some more wells and do that sort of thing if the price gets high enough. They can self-fund themselves, at least the big guys can. Mm -hmm. We have a hard time believing they're going to let that happen. There's a lot of spare capacity that they could turn on that will. We don't think we're going to, we don't think the mark, they will let this mark go up much, much higher than this low 70s. And then we, so we think there could be a good potential for a hard knockdown here. Um, you know, a lot of people have bid up the market on this. You know, the driving season is going to be big and we're going to use up a lot of gasoline. All those are valid, by the way. But this the Saudi Arabia and OPEC can turn on the spigot whenever they wish and, and flood the market with oil. And so we're, we're not very constructive right now. Now, with our winter forecast, though, right for heating oil, for yeah. diesel, for you know natural gas, for propane, for those kinds of things, wow! You know we think the upside is enormous once we get, um, you know, kind of this correction into the fall that we see coming. Once we get into that winter cycle, you know, we, we could see some really, really wild prices for things like heating oil, and and of course the demand for crude oil will be very strong. Um, as a result of you know of, of that so so it's kind of once again it's kind of a, a bad good scenario like cattle where we're pretty bearish over the near term but but we think there could be you know there'll be a great opportunity for cash buyers to lock in some energy needs late summer into the fall so right on so there's yeah a lot of opportunity there it sounds like well sean good stuff as usual folks want to reach out to you and get more information about hackett financial and what hackett financial can do for their um, operation or just get some information about uh, the reports that you put out? What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. They can, you know, uh, sign up for a sample report. They can look at some of our interviews we've done with you and other places and, and to see what with if how we think of how we look at things might be of value to your listeners. Right on. Well, Sean, thanks for being on the podcast and enjoy that uh, that nice Florida summer down there. Well, I, I can tell you we're in a historic drought down here with this, is the worst drought I've ever been ever seen down here. This is, a, this is the rainiest time of the year. We haven't gotten a drop of rain. We, really? In fact, we are, if you look at the country, we are one of the driest uh, areas in the country is central South Florida, which is unheard of for this mm -hmm. time of the year. So, you know, if you, if you like orange juice, Stock up. It could be an. It could be a wild, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I've been watching that that weather forecast, and you know they, it, it it's it's shockingly dry in in areas that it shouldn't be that dry in. So it's uh the evaporation yeah. index, which we talked about in our yeah. podcast this week, um, is, is some of the highest uh is here in in South Florida, which is normally humid. Uh, mm -hmm. I've never seen weather like this down here, Casey. It is it is. We're all, everyone down here is going, what, what is this? We've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Well, oh. well, you know, you talked about it, that there's going to be, uh, the drought cycle is going to be very expansive and, and it's going to be, uh, uh, very, uh, intense and in, until we head to this, this fall. So, and then yep. it gets a different kind of intense. So it's, uh, it's a good, good times for everybody coming up here over the next, uh, six to nine months. 
good times good times yeah <laughs> right on all right i'm casey seymour with moving iron podcast make sure you check me out on facebook twitter and instagram that's where you'll find the latest editions of moving iron podcast and then go over to moving iron llc and you'll find the entire library of the moving iron podcast as well as um and the blog posts that i've posted out there as well for more information about the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 15th through the 17th, go to movingironllc.com. Up in the navigation bar, you'll see uh, Moving Iron Summit. Click that, and all the information you need for registration, hotels, agendas, speaker information, all those kind of things will be there. Sean's going to be there. He's going to be talking about uh, what he sees happening in 21, 22, and then moving forward as far as some of the weather models he's talked about. Uh, going so uh, be a very timely uh, amount of information that's going to come from Sean and uh, we'll have a lot of a lot of great information there from some other really great speakers about the future of farming what we see happening there so with that I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett let's go some iron folks out you want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment whether you represent the sales parts or management department of an implement dealership there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, Head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving on